0: Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in. Today's episode is all about debt. Seems like Americans have become way too comfortable accumulating large quantities of debt. I mean, we have credit card loans, we have student loans, we have mortgage loans, and we have auto loans. Eventually, all this debt catches up with us, or it actually makes us work a lot longer than we anticipated. So how can we alleviate a lot of this debt or eliminate it, and what can we learn from all of this and how can we leverage debt to build us more wealth all this and so much more in today's episode welcome to the investor fellow podcast the podcast where we discuss all things money and life i'm your host jorge navarro and just so you know i'm not a financial advisor nor is this financial advice this podcast is all about information education and my own experiences So please like and subscribe to this podcast. The history of debt is complex and owing people money has been around for thousands of years. Debt has been a fundamental aspect of the human economic systems and its evolution has been shaped by various historical, cultural, and economic factors. The first European settlers that arrived in the 17th century often relied on, guess what? Debt to finance their journeys and establish colonies, so they owed money to their European investors and creditors. But it wasn't until the post-World War II era and the late 20th century where debt really started to explode. After World War II, the United States experienced a period of massive economic growth and prosperity. This period is often referred to as the Golden Age of Capitalism. It was also during this time that consumer credit began to play a major role in American society. In the later half of the 20th century, consumer debt, including credit card and mortgage debt, began to rise significantly. There were two reasons for this. One, financial innovations, so technology made the availability of credit to the masses, to the general public, more accessible. And the second one is there was a huge cultural mindset shift that debt and credit was now acceptable. And that is huge. That changed everything right there. When everyone thinks it's normal or you normalize something, then it's no big deal, right? And here's an example of it. Let's take someone from the 1920s or 1930s. They want to buy an automobile, a used automobile. They are all in agreement back then that in order to buy that, they need to save up all their money to go get it, right? So they might have to work years for that automobile. Now, Let's fast forward to our present day. The same person wants to buy an automobile today. Well, they don't think like that. They don't think, oh, well, I got to get a job, and then I'm going to work three years for that job, riding my bicycle, taking the bus to work. Then I can buy the automobile, right? I can buy the car. They don't think like that. Now people think like this. Oh, well, I got a job, so I make X amount a week. I qualify because I have credit, and I'm going to go buy that $50,000 car, brand new, Case close. And I say this because I want to bring awareness. If we live a life solely based on consumption, credit, spending, and debt, we can never get out of that life. We become slaves to it. And you know who benefits from all of that? Not you, but the creditors, the banks. They're the ones looking down at us and they're laughing. They're the ones making the big money. And so by us understanding how debt, can work for us or against us, we can take back that power. Let's talk student loans, everybody. Now, student loans are a tricky animal, and I've always found them very interesting and fascinating and completely dumbfounded because when you're 17, 18 years old, you're supposed to make the biggest financial decision of your life, right? But yet, you have no life experience. You've probably maybe never even done the thing that you are supposed to go to college for, you know, that dream job, like you have no experience in it. Let's say you want to be a lawyer and you're 17 years old and you want to be a lawyer. Uh, You've never actually worked in a law office or have done the hours required to see what it really feels like to become a lawyer. You know, And so at this point, we're so young and we make these huge financial decisions that put us into debt. And I just think that's it's wild, right? Like, let's say we're going to buy a car. We don't just go to the lot and say, "Hey, I really like that car. It's very shiny. Um, I'm going to buy that." No, you do. You do your research on your car. You test drive it, and um, you know, after after a while, you decide, "Hey, this is the right car for me." But yet, it doesn't kind of it doesn't really work like that with student loans because uh, we don't really test drive our career. You know, maybe there's a few out there that had. The ability to see what they were wanted to do, but for most, it's like, hey, I want to be an engineer, or hey, I want to be a lawyer, and these are the classes I need to take to get there. But did they actually, uh, like, do an apprenticeship for the position of the job? Like, now I'm not talking about just hours. I'm talking about work in that position, you know, for months on end to see if that's something you really want to do before signing your life away uh, on these crazy loans. But that's what I find so fascinating about them is how we think, right? We we put ourselves in this hole to get ahead, but you're putting yourself in this hole and you don't even know if you're going to get ahead. But it gets even better, everybody, because college and universities have been increasing a lot over the last several decades. Surprise, surprise, right? So much so that This increase has outpaced inflation and wage growth, making higher education less affordable. Huh. So the very thing that is supposed to put you ahead in life now costs you more than anything. But yet, you can sign your life away and uh, take on these loans with no history of employment, no history of credit. Isn't that wild? There There has to be something there where... Society is setting you up for long-term debt, which you can never get out of, right? As the cost of education has risen, many students have had to rely on student loans to finance their education. I would say not many. I would say probably all, besides uh, just the wealthy privilege or uh, athletes. Student loan debt in the United States has reached record levels. Surprise, surprise, right? With millions of borrowers carrying substantial debt burdens. Now let's look at some student loan stats, and it's not that it's not looking that pretty. So the average federal student loan debt is thirty-seven thousand per borrower. I would say the people that I know, it's actually more than that, but this is average. But even that thirty-seven thousand, wow, that is that's cuckoo. Twenty years after entering school, half of student borrowers still owe twenty thousand on each outstanding loan balance. That's crazy you are gone out of school for 20 years and you still have debt. And guess what? We're not even talking all the other debt you've accumulated. And by then you probably have a family and the family now has debt. It's like, where does this ever end? How do you ever get out of this hole? Honestly, it's very difficult to get out of the hole once you're in, because if you are a borrower and let's just say it's not going well for you, and you default or you become otherwise unable to pay for your federal direct loans, guess what? You will not be able to escape them by declaring bankruptcy. Now, If you go back to your 17, 18-year-old self when you were so thrilled and you signed your life away on these loans, don't you think that maybe there should actually be a class on student loans, like in school, so you know exactly what you're signing up for, and in case you decide to change your mind, or now you don't want to do that major anymore, um, what the consequences are? But strangely enough, that doesn't exist, right? It's all about where are we going, what school we're going to go to, you know, all the hype, but This is what's extremely important because this comes back and it bites you in the ass. The average student loan debt has tripled since 2007. The average overall student debt has increased by 106% or 6.6% each year for the last 16 years. And here's one that's really crazy. Those aged between 50 and 61 years old have the highest average student loan debt at $45,000. To me, that is mind blowing. You are you're, you basically live half your life, and you still are paying for your college. That is crazy. It should not be that way. We need to stop doing this, right? We need to think of different creative ways, and I will bring those things up later in this podcast because I don't want you to just be listening and be like, "Okay, well, um, you know, you are saying all these things about it, but what's the solution?" Well, there is always solutions. Sometimes they're just creative solutions. If you're getting ready to go to college or you know someone who is, or you you have a son or a daughter that is going to go to college, it's really important that you take into account all the things that I mentioned because figuring out how much the loan is, is just one part of the process. But what about what they actually want to do? Do they actually know what that job is? Do they know what that path looks like? And do they know how much they actually will make and how difficult those jobs are to get? And where are they in relation to where you live? So there are so many things to look at when you are taking on this massive debt. As a family, you should sit down and you should discuss this and you should run the numbers. Um, If you're by yourself, you should do the same thing. So now we're going to switch gears and we're going to talk about credit card debt. Raise your hand if you have credit card debt. I can see all your hands up. No, but uh, seriously, credit card debt will get you in a lot of trouble real fast if you don't pay attention to it, because credit card debt is very easy to kind of just ignore or not see because it's all electronically, you know, created, and you got a little card you spend, and you go in a store, and you come out with an item, and you do it again, and you go to dinner, and you know. It's all a good time until you get that monthly statement and you're like, holy f, <laughs> and that's credit cards for you. And hey, I've been there too. I I, I know. Um, I know it's hard sometimes, but we have to remember that credit card debt is not good debt, especially when you have over 20% interest. You know, 27% interest uh, that'll get you. So this is the first time ever that credit card debt has topped $1 trillion in this country. So what does that tell you? Immediately, that tells me a lot. Immediately, that tells me that a lot of Americans are hurting right now. You know, They are putting more on their cards because they probably don't have the cash on hand, which I completely get. Everything's getting more expensive. Inflation is high. Uh, products are probably the most expensive they've ever been. And so the cards come in handy. But it's a double-edged sword because if we aren't paying attention to that, it could come back and it could bite us, right? And so that's what we don't want. Overall, the national average credit card debt among cardholders is $7,000. So this is the average. There's people, I'm sure, that have way more or way less. But $7,279 $7, to be exact is a lot of money. Now, there are a lot of people out there that have student loans and credit card loans at the same time. So you could be a, you know, a young 21-year-old, 22-year-old person and have $40,000 in student loans and $7 to $8,000 in credit card debt. Again, how do you get out of this? You're, you know, you're barely 21, 22 years old. You're just it's like you're in quicksand already. And so this is why I don't want to put you in quicksand, right? I want to I want to grab your arm and I want to take you out of that quicksand. The tricky thing about credit card spending is it has a place in both um, economic growth and economic downturns. And I'll tell you why. So, in periods of economic growth, right, you have rising incomes, credit card spending tends to increase as consumers have more disposable income. So, the economy is doing great, everybody's doing great, you have more disposable income. Well, guess what? Everybody is marketing something, there's a product, and we're we're a consumer society, right? So you're like, hey, I've got the extra money, I'll spend it. And this is exactly, you know, the trap that you get that you fall into, and the credit card companies, they love it because again, you are paying these super high interest on your card. They also win in economic downturns because during hard economic downtimes or downturns, credit card spending patterns change. Some individuals rely more on credit cards to cover essential expenses when faced with job loss or reduced income. So, again, credit card companies they win. And this is what I was talking about earlier banks they win. They are looking down at us and they are laughing at us. They're like, You guys, you consume all you want, you take on all the debt you want, and we are going to continue to get even more wealthy. And so, again, Let's get out of that quicksand. I got you. I got your arm. We're out of that quicksand. However, credit cards don't always have to be all quicksand. If you use them to your benefit, it can unlock some very, very cool perks. For example, um, a few months ago, I went to Italy, Portugal, Spain and Greece, and half of my flights were paid for by my air miles, I think I like a total of like 1,300 bucks worth. And you know that was through credit cards. That was through like smart, smart spending and paying back on my cards. Uh, so there are benefits to that. Also, over time you develop good credit history, and so eventually there will come a day where you will need a loan. Why? Because it just makes more sense, even if you have the cash and your credit history is going, to, is going to play into account. So if you play that game correctly, where you have a little bit of credit debt, then you pay it off, your credit score goes up, and you do this, and you play this game, then it's only gonna benefit you later because our society is built upon debt and lending, so we gotta play the game, right? If we wanna build that wealth, we have to play the game. When it comes to going buck wild on credit card spending, I think if you have financial literacy and good money management skills, then you will be okay. You know, if you don't have that, then that little card will put you in a world of hurt. But one of the rules I like to do, and there is no defined rule. You know, everyone has their thing that they do. This has always worked well for me. If I don't have the cash, like on hand or in my assets, then I will not put it on a card. So I use my credit card very often. In fact, I think I probably use it daily. But I have the cash to back it up. So if the card company said, hey, we need that payment today, I could say, hey, no problem. I'll take it out of my checking account or my savings account or wherever that account is. But I have the money to back it up. Now it's difficult to do this at first because at first we're all struggling and we have no money. So again, we're back in that quicksand phase. But little by little you start accumulating some money and you start saving it and it starts investing and it starts growing. And The whole game to this is you use the cards to your advantage, right? You use lending to your advantage and you have something to back it up, right? You have your cash on hand. You have your cash saved. You have your cash invested, whatever it is. So sometimes I choose to use my card because it makes more sense financially than paying for it all cash because I can get rewards points, miles, uh, whatever it is, or it's a 0% APR card for uh, a year. I've done that before. I've put uh, big expenses on my remodel, like I bought a fridge, stove, microwave, all on 0% interest cards, even though I had the cash to pay up front, because it was for, I believe, like 16 months. So... As long as I put it on auto pay, and this is very important, if you ever do these things, make sure you put those payments on automatic payments so you never are late. Because once you're late, then you get penalties and those rules go out of the window. So sometimes it makes sense to use the cards to your advantage. And like I said, I've done that before, where even though, though I had the cash to pay for all that, I was like, I don't have to pay this for 16 months. Instead, I'll have that money invested earning compounding interest or dividend returns. Because just like banks could make money off of me, I'm going to make money off of them. You know, just like cards make money off of me, I'm going to make money off of them. If they can play the game, well, so can I. And so there's these things that if you have financial literacy and you have money management skills and you have just like this basic understanding of investing and money, you can use it towards your advantage. So far, we've discussed student loans and credit cards, and what to look for, what to avoid, but now we're going to switch gears and we're going to talk about mortgage debt, owning a home, ah, the American dream. I'm going to touch briefly on this and not go too in depth because this will be a whole podcast on itself because there's always that hot topic of renting versus owning, paying your own mortgage versus paying someone else's mortgage. There's currently over $11 trillion in mortgage debt. The average current wage is $58,000. Now, remember, this is average, so this is all around the country. $58,000, depending on who you talk to, is a lot of money or is not a lot of money. But I'll tell you what it could buy you today. That $58,000 could probably only buy you a $220,000 home. A $220,000 home seems pretty reasonable. Yeah, I I like that. But the fact is that in 2023, that is not the average home price. The average home price is $495,000, so basically half a million dollars. So even though you can afford a $220,000 home, most homes will be out of your budget. And let's just say you could buy this half a million dollar home. Let's say you had a dual income and you had some money saved from some family or whatever. Why would you want to do that anyways? Because what's happening here is now you're becoming a slave to your own mortgage, a slave to your own home. And just because society says that we should own a home to build wealth, it's not the only way that we can build wealth. So it's always something to consider, especially now that home prices have outpaced wages and salaries. It's always something to keep in mind. We're living in a very interesting time because interest rates have gone up so quickly and so dramatically. I think right now, you know, if you try to buy a home for, and get a 30-year fixed uh, rate loan, it's between 7% and 8%, which is crazy because a few years ago, you know, there was people who were getting them in the twos and threes, and, and now it's made a significant impact because when interest rates rise, the cost of borrowing money also increases As a result, your monthly mortgage payments become higher because you're paying more interest. So if you're paying more interest, it means home prices are more expensive and it means that you have less buying power. Higher interest rates can reduce your purchasing power in the housing market. As interest rates rise, the amount of money you can borrow to buy a home, guess what, it decreases. This means that you may have to settle for a smaller or less desirable property. Or in many cases, like most Americans, they still try to buy the most expensive property they can, and it goes back to, now you're a slave to your mortgage because all of your income is going to your mortgage, and that doesn't make sense. Now let's get into the good stuff. The good news is there are ways that we can get out of this debt trap, and if we think creatively, we can actually build wealth, which will create financial independence in the future, or maybe earlier than that. But you're probably wondering, Hmm, how is that possible? Well, let's talk about student loans first. I think when it comes to student loans and debt, we have to think about it as a society differently. First and foremost, it's just not about sending your kid to a cool, prestigious college. It's what are they gonna get out of that? You know, and it a lot, I hear a lot of times it's they're gonna get the experience of being in college. Well, partying and uh, hanging out with your friends can only go so far because you're out of there in four years so what did you leave there with did you leave there with a degree that's actually capable of earning you a high achieving salary or did you leave there with a degree that's meh there are many high paying jobs out there where you don't need to take on a boatload of debt you know the workforce is changing and what i'm seeing is people or employers are hiring more on skill based versus what college did you go to You know, Because even if you went to a prestigious college, that doesn't mean that you're actually going to be able to perform in that job. And so employers are wanting to see that. And so what skills do you actually have? And so now you can actually uh, take classes and get the skill needed or get a certificate in what is needed. And that is more valuable to the employer because the employer doesn't care where you went to school. The employer, all they care about is, can you perform? Can you do X, Y, and Z? And that is the bottom line now. And before, it was more like, oh, well, you went here? Okay, you're hired. But that's changing. A young person who is dedicated and works hard can build a six-figure income without going to college. And while their friends are still in college and have no life experience, work experience, this person can actually build a business, a foundation. And what do I mean by this? I mean the trades. And so what is the trades? Like plumbing, plumbing electricians, contractors, builders, landscapers. For so long, all of this was seen as below the average person, right? Normally, and let's be real, you know, minorities filled this gap for decades. But guess what? Now they are a lot older and retiring and nobody else wants to fill it because all these young people wanted high paying office jobs and tech jobs, Well, AI is slowly replacing a lot of those things and there is a surplus of those people. But guess what there's a need for? There's a need for trades, for builders, for electricians. So if you're someone that builds a business from scratch at a young age, you could essentially have a whole market share of that uh, income. So that's just one of the very many ways, creative ways that we can build a six-figure income or we can build a high income without accumulating a ton of student loan debt. You know, And for me, for my example, uh, I became a firefighter paramedic. And so the basic requirements for that was you had to go to a firefighter academy and you got to go to paramedic school and you had to take certain you know medical classes like anatomy, physiology, blah, blah, blah. But all those things considered were fractions of what a four-year university would have costed me. And Right away, I was making a high income, so I had very little debt, and so guess what? I can save and invest. But now, let's switch gears to home ownership, because now it's more difficult to own a home. So how do we do it? Well, one, we're going to have to change our expectations, right? Since the average home price is $495,000, let's say that we live in California. Now, if I make an average salary of $58,000, there's no way that I could afford a home here. So maybe I rent. That's not a big deal. Or maybe I move somewhere else. And that's the thing is, there's a lot of people these days that are complaining about prices of this and that. But guess what? None of it's going away. So instead of us complaining, we have to get creative. And so maybe that means you move to another state. Maybe it means you rent. Maybe it means that you buy a boat and you live on a boat. Uh, that's what I did for a couple of years in San Diego. And I rented all my houses out. Maybe it means that you house hack. And so what I mean by that is maybe you buy a house and you have three roommates and you do that for a couple years until you finally have saved enough where you don't need that. Or you could buy a duplex in another state. And so a duplex is basically we have two people living at your property. And so you can have a duplex and you can live on one side and rent the other side, or you can rent both sides. So there are many, many ways you can do this. You can buy land, cheap land somewhere else and then eventually uh, when you have the money later, you can build on that and then you can rent it. So there are a lot of ways that we can get creative about owning homes. You know, uh, I think the way we look at home ownership is gonna change because if these interest rates stay significantly high like they are, which I think they will for quite a while, then uh, you know our mindset has to shift. And so that's the thing is, Instead of us looking at all the negative things, there's so many positive things that we can look at, we just have to get creative. To sum it all up, student loans, credit card debt, and mortgage debt are here to stay. And in fact, they're only gonna to continue to rise. It is up to you to figure out whether or not you want to take on this debt or not. Thinking creatively will help you break these barriers. However, very few people travel this path because It is uncomfortable, and it's not widely talked about, and people are afraid of judgment. So they follow what traditional society does, but like we see, it leads to more debt. And so in this episode, I want to bring awareness to all the debt that could accumulate and spiral and have you feeling like you're in quicksand your whole entire life. But there are other options, there are other solutions. We just have to think differently. I really hope you enjoyed this episode and I hope this episode got you thinking about debt in a different way and maybe even getting creative about it. Tune in next week for another great episode. You can always follow the Investor Fellow podcast on Twitter, Instagram, threads, and theinvestorfellow.com.